You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Open Concessions podcast, featuring a weekly in-depth conversation with a Chicago Cubs-related personality. We are your hosts. I'm Len Casper, alongside Jim Deshays. You may know us as the Cubs television tandem. J.D., how's your week going? Uh, it's going great, Len. Um, it feels a lot like last week, to be truthful. Uh, <laughs> it's it's going great. How are, how are you doing? How are things in the Casper household? Doing fine, you know, just uh, hoping for more consistently good weather, which I think is on the horizon, thankfully, right? Yeah, I think we're going to get uh, catch a break here. Snow on Mother's Day is kind of bizarre, um, but but hopefully we get more spring-like weather and uh, we can turn our thoughts to, to baseball and maybe ultimately play a little baseball. Today's guest is Bob Odenkirk, actor, comedian, writer, director, producer, best known for playing Saul Goodman on Breaking Bad and later Jimmy McGill and Saul Goodman on Better Call Saul. Uh, J.D., we've had him uh, in the booth a few times to sing the stretch. He's kind of at the top of his game right now. He's been around a long time, and uh, we get into some pretty deep stuff, but uh, uh, that's a name that resonates pretty well these days. Yeah, and he's just a a delightful guy and um, fun to get an opportunity to sit down and and chat with Bob. And and, and you're right, he's had a remarkable career. The evolution of his career I find most interesting, uh, you know, a kind of a comic a writer, sketch comic guy, and now uh, playing a serious dramatic role. Uh, he's appeared in a lot of uh, big time movies uh, and uh, to go along with his television work. And just a very interesting man. So he and co-creator David Cross starred in uh, the hit comedy sketch series, Mr. Show, a cult hit back in the 1990s on HBO. He wrote on SNL previous to that, the Ben Stiller show, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, among other shows. Also played Stevie Grant, a a foul-mouthed agent on the Larry Sanders show. Most importantly, though, Bob is from Naperville, Illinois. He's a big Cubs fan. He's conducted the stretch, as we said, on multiple occasions. And without further delay, let's enjoy our conversation with Bob Odenkirk. Bob, thank you for joining us. We uh, really appreciate it. We're huge fans. And uh, we have to start with uh, health. That's the big question on everybody's mind right now. And uh, your son, Nathan, uh, has gotten over COVID-19. How's he feeling and how's everybody in the family? Uh, he's feeling a thousand percent. Like uh, he's got immunity. <laughs> he's got the immunity idol, we always say. Uh he, uh, he, he really is feeling great and, um, it, it's good. I mean, he's been over it for like almost four weeks now. Um, so everyone else is fine we didn't get it from him. Uh, he wore him, he was sick the whole time, you know, the whole time he was sick, he was here at home, but he wore a mask the whole time. He'd forget every couple of days and I would tell him to go put the mask on. He mostly stayed in his room because he was so tired through the whole thing. Um, he washed his hands a lot. And somehow, I guess that was enough to keep uh, myself and my wife and my daughter from from getting it, even though, you know, it's just a house. It's not a hospital. Um, but we did the precaution of having the sick person wear a mask. And that really helped, I think. Um it- did he have the classic symptoms? What did, uh, what happened before he got tested that made you think it was a problem? So he was in Chicago and he's in a you know college roommate situation. He goes to DePaul and one of the roommates was sick for a good two weeks and it was he got scared. He called and said, I feel like this is here in this place that I'm in because the roommate would not go to the doctor, would not get tested, and didn't get better. Um, so we said, well, come on home. And then he came home. He was not, he had no um, symptoms yet. He flew home, and the next morning he woke up with a fever and uh, pain in his throat. As far as how bad it got for him, he just was fatigued for two weeks, and he had a 
super painful throat. But outside of that, that was it. Um, yeah, two whole weeks, and he got tested and came up positive, and he's and then the symptoms went away, and and he's fine. And the mask, you know, it's it's a weird thing because you think of a mask protecting the person wearing it, but it's actually the opposite. So he wore the mask to protect yes. you. That's yeah, something we have to I, keep I reminding it, ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like instead of wasting three masks on the healthy people, the sick person wore the mask and washed his hands like crazy. And we wiped down the doorknobs and stuff. But he, like I said, he didn't even come out of his room because he didn't want to because he was too tired. So it wasn't hard to keep him in a room because he didn't want to go anywhere. And uh, the fact that he wore the mask, I think, did the best uh, the best work for the family and kept us safe. And um, it's, you know, it's in our past now as far as being in this house. And, uh, and then we're doing everything, you know, that they want us to do here in L.A. where people take their health extremely seriously. Like, you know, they talk about everything they're eating and what they ate and what they might eat. <laughs> they, I'm wondering, uh, Bob, I, I'm wondering, Bob, if you um, if you're getting up in the morning and, and you're writing like pandemic based sketches and bits. We are writing stuff. We're going to do it. Some of it on uh, a charity Zoom call. Me and my old pals from Mr. Show are doing a charity Zoom call on Wednesday night in two nights. It'll be on in Chicago at 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. And you can go online and it's, uh, I forget what the thing is. It's uh, just go to Mr. Show Zoom call and you'll find it. It's a $12 charge. We're raising money for a wonderful charity called Lyft that helps families construct uh, a good life plan to get out of poverty. And we've uh, raised a ton of money so far. And we're going to have a lot of fun on that Zoom call with characters from the show coming back. Oh, almost the whole cast from Mr. Show you'll get to see, including Tom Kenny, famous for being SpongeBob SquarePants, and uh, Jay Johnston, one of the funniest people who ever lived, Paul F. Tompkins, very funny performer and popular on many podcasts, Scott Aukerman from Comedy Bang Bang, Brian Posehn, heavy metal humorist, um, a great group of people, uh, as well as a little bit of a star-studded uh, video piece that we put together at the end. So it's going to be a great evening of comedy, much of it about the COVID-19. <laughs> There's a great sketch. I don't want to wreck it for you. But uh, it turns out it's about a boy band who accidentally were named COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Bob, just to clarify, um, if they can't catch it live, because this podcast actually will probably... Uh, be posted the day after. You can still pay for it later to watch it, I It'll assume? Stay for four days through the weekend. Okay, great. So, yeah, you can go to the website. Uh, I forget what it's called, like House Seats. But if you just type in Mr. Show Zoom call, you'll uh, find this thing and it'll be up for four days. So Great. Well, we're going to get back into Mr. Show a little later. And I'm glad your son is feeling a lot better. That That is very scary. But I want to, I want to, shift uh, the, the conversation here a little bit. I have in my hand a note, a card from you, mm. dated June 29th, 2009. And it says, Ooh. Dear Len, a handwritten note, thank you for a most memorable afternoon at Wrigley Field. My father would have been so proud of me to have achieved such an honor. My grandfather, however, was a Sox fan. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, rem I remember um, you and David coming to the ballpark and uh, you've now sung the stretch multiple times uh, it's been great to have you and hopefully we have you a bunch more that would be a dream I uh yeah my uh, allegiance was initially my grandfather took us to see the Sox at Comiskey he grew up four blocks from old Comiskey 
And uh, we would go when Harry Carey was still the announcer there. And um, we sat right under Harry's booth. And then uh, my grandfather lived in Oak Park. And he did start watching the Cubs in the even later years. So I, he was in the White Sox, always loved the White Sox, but I think the Cubs were pretty easy to watch uh, on WGN there for so long. And uh, anyway, uh, and then I lived in Wrigleyville. I lived right down the street from Wrigley Field for when I first moved to Chicago. And I used to go to day games because if I wasn't working, at uh, Cozy's Bike Shop right around the corner. And um, yeah, it was great. I love uh, I love Wrigley Field. And uh, I love the Cubs, especially their current group of players. And as you look at how things have kind of gone, you, you mentioned this current group of players and there are Cub fans everywhere. Do you notice even in Southern California, there, there are a lot of Cub fans there too? Yeah, there's tons of Cub fans in Los Angeles because, you know, this is a very, this town is filled with people from, who've come from somewhere else and many of them from the Midwest. It's understandable. I'm sitting outside right now. I don't know what the weather's like in Chicago, but it is crazy beautiful again today. Sorry, Chicagoans. I know you've had some cold weather. My mom and my sister still live there. So believe me, I get the weather report. What's it like right now? Eh. It's kind of oh, cool no. and, and cloudy, but it snowed yesterday, Bob. It actually snowed. I know. That's Mother's insane. Day. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it That's is. That's insane. But you know, you... my brother Phil was born on April 1st in, uh, let's see, this would have been uh, like probably 70 or like around 69. And it was a snowstorm. On April 1st, snowstorm. I remember watching my parents pull out in the VW bug and it went spinning around in the street because my dad was hitting the gas so hard and trying to get to the hospital. And uh, and now it's May 10th. It, it snows on May 10th. What? <laughs> we had It didn't stick, yeah. right? It, it just <laughs> melted, right? We had a game around Memorial Day, I think, in 2016. It was like wind chill of 35 i mean memorial day that's summer oh oh well <laughs> oh well yeah i don't know what can you do you can't be you all you can do is complain about it and that helps <laughs> <laughs> sure does. that helps bring the sun on you guys aren't complaining enough that's the problem <laughs> well it, it's um, keeping it's keeping everybody indoors so it's keeping everybody a little bit yeah. safer yeah yeah it's true it's true in the sun in the spring hits it's going to be awful hard look the truth is we're all doing a great job i think people have really surprised me i i sorry but i've become a cynic over the years honestly you know i was here for the la riots and that was a very disturbing thing to be around um it made me feel bad about just people in general and uh like they won't cooperate if they don't have to was the feeling like it just really bummed me out and it stuck with me too. And then this has been a different experience. I, I know there's people rioting and getting really upset and I don't blame people for getting upset, but I've been far more surprised at how thoughtful and cooperative people have been in this pandemic effort than, uh, than I have been disappointed. I, I am pleased and blown away at the number of people who are asking, what can I do to help? Uh, and how can I do this right? And what can I do to help? Because really you're protecting other people by wearing a mask, you know, because you won't spread it to maybe someone who's weaker than you or older than you. And it's just been amazing to see anyway. Yeah, well, we we can all be heroes by sitting on our couch and and watching another season of Better Call Saul or whatever else we're we're you know jumping on on Netflix. I mean, it's you know it's not the ultimate sacrifice, but it's you know I know, but you're helping. It's not a bad way to spend a pay. Yeah, listen, yeah, you're staying my, out. My neighbor, 
my neighbor said to me, she is older and her husband is older with some complications. And she said, I'm doing my part by staying out of the way. I'm going to not get sick and I'm not going to pass it on to somebody. And that's one of the things I'm going to do. Maybe the most important thing I'm going to do is not get in the way as people try to deal with this who need to. Speaking of which, I'd rather be sitting on my couch watching a Cubs game. And I, you know, I don't know. You guys would know this and you've probably talked about it. Uh, but early on, somebody said, why don't they just play in the spring training parks, some shortened season, everybody stay in Arizona and Florida and, you know, maybe be sequestered in a hotel. Uh, it's still a lot of people to put in a group, but is that not, why is that not? something that we could all do watch well, i think two two main reasons and jd can add to it if he wants i think the players don't want to be away from their families potentially for months yep. on end that's yep. number one right. and number two there's only one dome stadium in arizona so if you play in june and july it's 110 degrees oh boy i didn't think about that and it's worse it's 120 right some days yeah. It would have yeah. been, uh, you know, it would have been doable, I think, um, but but it probably would have been uh, kind of miserable. And, and, and uh, you know, just today, uh, the owners have agreed to a plan that the commissioner floated out there to uh, play a season that would start in early July, play about 80 games, and we play in major league stadiums, um, empty stadiums. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it would be very heavy within our own division. So we play the same cast of characters a lot, Cardinals, Brewers, and Reds and Pirates. Mm-hmm. And then we'd mm-hmm. also play the American League Central. So that, that seems to be a doable plan if they can, you know, get over the, the hurdles of all the all the medical stuff, testing and, and whatnot. So we'll see where it goes. But I think there is a potential. Boy, I hope. Point you'll be I got to say, as a fan, I hope they do that because – Look, I don't want to risk anybody else's health, but we all, I don't know, people, this is so unnatural what we're all doing right now. And rather than people explode in some kind of crazy behavior, uh, I'd rather we find ways to let some, you know, put our energy somewhere. And uh, if the players would do that and they could sort out how to do it, it would be the greatest thing to to put on the MLB app, which I have, I get every year and just watch a game every day. And I just, it'd be a wonderful and really meaningful thing. Um, So they're going to try like heck to make, make it happen. And, you know, time is a little bit on their side. We, we still have a few weeks and maybe months before they have to make, you know, a final decision. So we're hopeful. And uh, yeah, I also think this team, I like these guys so much. Uh, and I wonder if a year goes by, what's going to happen. It's not going to be this group. Um, I mean, it changes every year, but it'll, it'll change a lot more, I think, in a year. But I don't know that much about trades and stuff, but it it's still a fairly close group that I recognize, you know, that I know. I think you speak Love for a lot of fans. Game. Yeah. This, this nucleus is not going to be together forever. Yeah. And I, you know, this is a funny thing, you know, the, the, the world series run was such a great thing that just rejuvenated people's belief in the possibility, <laughs> the possibility of winning. Uh, and so that was great. But then I started watching cause on the, when you're acting on a show like Better Call Saul, and we shoot a lot in the summer, we've shot a lot, uh, last couple of seasons mostly have been shot in the summer, although this next season will start in September if we're okay, if we can sort out a way to do that. I'm not sure we can, but if we can, we'll start in September. But nothing better than a baseball game while you're shooting scenes because it moves slow. <laughs> And we're shooting moves slow, so you're not missing too much. You can get back, you can get it on your phone now, and you can. And it doesn't take you completely out of the scene. Like I can't read a book that has like a, 
I can't read like a fiction book, right? It's a whole nother story. I already have a fiction story in my head that I'm trying to commit to and believe in. But a baseball game is not that. And uh, it was just, a, it's been the greatest companion and uh, entertainment uh, for me for the last couple of years on Better Call Saul. And um, I miss it. And I miss, and you get to know these guys over time and their characters and, I love uh, Schwarber and I love Rizzo. Who can't? Who doesn't? Chris Bryant, um, it, all these guys, all of them, even the quiet ones like John Lester, <laughs> even the kind of stony-faced ones who don't give you a lot. Um, you just get to know them, and it's a great thing. So we don't want to give away any spoilers for for Saul, but um, one more season. Yeah, one more season. It'll be a extended season. Um, the uh, you know the guys who write it and the women. It's actually a female heavy writing staff. More more women than men, uh, which is pretty cool. And I think one of the reasons the um, women on the the female characters on the show are so well written and so rich um but they have a lot of story they want to tell and we usually do 10 episodes in a season but they're planning for the final season to be 13 and uh i can't wait to see what they write i i don't know a thing about what happens every year i sit down with vince gilligan and peter gould who created the show and i sort of speak as a fan and I say, here's what I w- wish you would do, or here's what I'd love to see. I always want fireworks. I always want Saul to get in a lot of trouble, like physical trouble. This last season, we did a, a whole episode that Vince Gilligan directed that we shot out in the middle of the desert, and it was brutal, just brutal. It was two and a half weeks hmm. of 110 degree heat, and you had to start at 5:30 a.m. I mean, you had to be ready to shoot at 5.30 a.m. So you had to get a, get there at 4.30 and and then shoot until the sun went down. And I just love that stuff. I love when it's hard and and when the character is just getting the, I don't know, can I swear? <laughs> you, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> when he's getting the shit kicked out of him is my favorite thing in in the whole show because i think he deserves it (laughs) 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 and because essentially this goes back to breaking bad and the first episode with saul he gets kidnapped and i don't think this is a spoiler alert because if you haven't seen breaking bad i i can't help you you can't find your remote obviously (laughs) um uh And he gets kidnapped and taken to the desert and Walt and Jesse have a gun to his head. And I remember shooting that scene. It was 1.30 a.m. There was a giant, giant light on a crane, a massive crane, way, way, way up in the sky, like, a, you know, kind of a simulated moon light. And uh, and then the, the little Winnebago, which felt little in the middle of that desert, and then a grave that they had dug. And I'm on my knees and there were holding the gun up to the back of my head. And then we have a long conversation and, you know, we shot from probably midnight to 4 AM, 5 AM. And that kind of stuff, man, that's like, it's hard, but what an adventure it is to be, to get to be an actor who, and to get to do that in your life and make, make up that story and tell that kind of story. And, and just to say to yourself, this is my job. I imagine you guys have the same feeling sometimes where you go, I can't believe I get to do this. And every day isn't the same. Every day you don't feel that the whole time. But there are moments, and for me, those moments are often the ones that are strenuous, physical, crazy. And I love a fake gun being waved around. I'm, I don't know what that says about gun control or my second amendment stance, but I sure do love a fake gun being waved around by grown men. Yeah, who well, wouldn't? 
the desert sure, the desert it scene makes in, me laugh i guarantee you when they say cut i start laughing right away the the desert episode uh on saul this season made me uncomfortable uh the blisters on your lips and the makeup was amazing i assume that was makeup it was it was they took good care of me they did the best they could i mean it was brutal but all right bob uh, odenkirk bob odenkirk have you ever had to drink your own urine in real life <laughs> no no. <laughs> no i once wrote a comedy sketch i wish we'd done it remember bear grills yes. oh, yeah, yeah. you know that show so i wrote a sketch it was like a show like that with a bear grills guy and as soon as he he's like out with a bunch of uh, he takes like neophytes people out into the desert to survive. It's like a little, you know, satire parody TV show. And as soon as they're out there, he goes, we should drink our urine. <laughs> I'm like, wait, we just got here. And he's immediately and it's the only thing he talks about is how we better drink our urine. Like, we've only been here an hour. Calm down. Anyway, uh, I do think it's funny. I did not drink my own urine. No, I mean, listen, I all acting is method acting. You're using your memories and experiences to pretend to be sad or angry or lonely or whatever the hell you're doing. But I don't need to drink urine to imagine that it doesn't taste so good. <laughs> it was just food coloring. In water. <laughs> so, JD, you know, I was thinking about Bob Odenkirk in baseball terms, and he really is the the five tool superstar in this regard. There's like nothing Bob can't do. He can act. He can direct. He's done stand up. He's a great writer. He produces. He directs. So, Bob, what in the hell can't you do? Well, I don't know. I'm trying to find out. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's. listen, I got something coming up next year that is going to expand me to a six, I hope. Uh, there, there's a musical theater. Film. Uh, well, that I can't do. That's for sure. That's a guaranteed. I don't know if you've ever seen me sing on Mr. Show, but oh, anybody yeah. who's watched Mr. Show knows I really, really can't sing. And I very much enjoy proving that over and over. Um, anyway, uh, I, there's a lot I can't do. I have a lot of failed projects. I, I, I've been, here's the thing. I didn't uh, quit and I didn't die. So I got to make a lot of things. <laughs> but I've, a lot of what I've done has uh, fallen by the wayside. I, I, you know, I'm writing a memoir and I'm trying to include all my failed projects, or most of them. It'd be too long if I included all of them. But I really want to share with young people who think about show business, you know, kind of just how you carry on. Sometimes you succeed and you're lucky enough to be included in a, a really wonderful project. And sometimes you, oftentimes you don't. And and how do you just keep going and what it what it's like to do that because that meant more to me than anything uh, as far as deciding to try to make my way in this business was uh, I met a guy named Del Close who was a famous uh, acting teacher in Chicago and he talked to me I had a kind of happenstance meeting with him for about two hours one day and uh it, he talked about his career. He just rambled, really. He was smoking pot and rambling. And I didn't smoke pot even when I was in college. And um, so he kept offering it to me, and I kept turning him down. <laughs> but he, I loved hearing what he had to say. And he was talking about projects I'd heard of and many that I had never heard of and that no one ever heard of. And it was it really made me think about you know, you see people in this business when they succeed, you see their projects when they get in front of your eyes, and sometimes they go away and you go, where are they? What did they, did they quit? Are they, do they still make money? Are and so he showed me in that conversation that just a full, uh, a career full of projects and fun and interesting things, many of things that did not kind of go over. A few of them did, 
And uh, in a weird way, he had his greatest success ahead of him at that time when he created uh, uh, IO, Improv Olympic. And uh, that became his legacy. Um, so he hadn't even done that yet. Um, but just that meandering conversation that he shared with me made me feel like I, I wanted to try this and, and try to have experiences like that. Well, that's, that's kind of, you, you answered my question a little bit because I'm curious about the evolution of your career, you know, the um, college radio gig, sketch comedy, yeah. stand-up comedy, and then now you're doing these serious roles. I mean, was this something you saw coming or you just... No, I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I had a sort of instinct one time when I was on stage with Chris Farley and uh, Jill Talley at Second City, we were improvising and and I had a weird stray thought that somehow as fun as it was, I should, I should be doing drama. <laughs> it really came into my head. Like you should be doing drama. <laughs> I think what I was thinking was how much fun it was to watch Chris. I mean, I'm standing on stage with him doing a scene, but I'm just thinking this guy is so much fun. And I'm thinking, what am I doing up here? <laughs> but I thought, you know, in a different context, I could be a stronger presence and maybe I even have a better energy for, you know, for drama. I think there's something good about being um, a little bit inscrutable. And I think I bring that energy onto the screen, be, you know, and that's helpful in a drama, not as helpful in comedy. And and but I never pursued it. I, I had some wonderful auditions. Uh, Alexander Payne would always have me read for his movies, and eventually I did perform in one, Nebraska, which is a great film. I'm mm -hmm. honored to be a part of, and uh, you should check it out if you have never if you've never seen it. But um, yeah, I never pursued it because I love comedy so much. It makes me so happy, even now, just writing these Mister Show bits for Wednesday night. I'm just, I mean, how could you say no to, to laughing almost every day? <laughs> it's just the best. My son writes comedy and uh, has a blog called uh, The uh, Inquirist. It's like a magazine online. And he and his friends all write bits. And it's the same thing I remember from my, from being his age. It's just, how can you say no to being a part of that? I, I imagine it's like an athlete who was, able to play on some level you you gotta try you gotta try for it right i wanted to ask you uh along those lines your your sensibilities in terms of comedy and as you know i know every mr show sketch front and back uh i saw you do stand up before uh that show uh i'm very familiar with stevie grant your character from Larry Sanders' show, who was about the biggest a-hole in the world. Yeah. Very against type, by the way, since you're one of the nicest guys in the world. Um, but a lot of the stuff, and like even your stand-up, you did the Abraham Lincoln bit. Oh, um, yeah. The Monsters of Megaphone tour. Oh, yeah. You have, a, you have a real good sense of history, and there's something about a lot of the stuff you've done, and, and I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but there's a timeless quality to it that a lot of those sketches from Mr. Show, almost all of them, Bob, are not dated. You yeah, know, I, I know. I don't watch it and go, this, this, this reeks of 1996. I mean, I was watching this and I sent uh, JD just a couple of them that, that made me laugh, the audition. Yeah. And these things are going to be funny for the rest of time. Um, was that important to you or was it just stuff yeah. you thought was funny? Well, Again, Monty Python was our, uh, it was our touchstone for Mr. Show, what we were aiming to come close to. And you may not know this, but I actually knew this back then. I knew this when we did Mr. Show and even before, uh, because I knew, I knew somebody um, who knew the Python guys. A lot of the things that they did were actually references to people and topical things in England at the time. But they did this thing where they tried to elevate it to a um, kind of archetype, or they took the, let's say, maybe something in the news, and they just kind of 
blew it up a little bigger so it wouldn't be so tied down to when they shot it because like Mr. Show, they would shoot their show and it wouldn't come on the air for months after they shot it. So, so we tried to do that too. We tried to do things that were about what was happening. You know, even though a lot of our sketches, you watch them and they're still funny now. If I could tell you like a news story or whatever that that's based out of that happened that week or that we had just heard about, but um, yeah, we made a conscious effort. I mean, we knew that we knew that we were going to shoot the shows and that then we'd package them and they wouldn't play for four months, maybe more. And so we had to make, we couldn't make them too topical. So we made a real effort. And, and in the end, as time went by, we should, we worked on that show for four years. David Cross and I became more and more interested in, in writing those scenes that felt like they lived in a classic place where, you know, you know, we're just what you're saying. They could, you could play them 15, 20 years later and they'd still be just as funny. Something like the audition or lie detector or uh, week long romance is one. Um, that's one of my favorites that nobody ever mentions week long romance. It's where they split up a couple split up for one week and now they're getting back together. And they, you know, the guy clearly did. He almost got married in that week. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a rock band. He did all this stuff, made an album. And the, the woman was like, she just sat around, didn't do anything. And, uh, it's a great sketch, but that's what we really went for. That's the, those things became the golden uh, idol that we were after. It's, oh. it's really interesting because you know Len sent me a couple, and I when it was you know, originally airing, I, the Mr. Show thing I missed. I don't know what, what, what yeah. I was doing in my life at the time, so I watched a few of them. And as I'm watching them, I'm thinking Monty Python. This is Monty Python, and then oh yeah, to find out that that was kind of your inspiration is makes perfect sense. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Listen, the thing is, we, we knew that we couldn't be as absurd as they were because something about their intelligence and their Britishness made that just work. It made it sing. I think we're Americans, Midwestern in my case, and I felt like we were going to always be a more down-to-earth kind of presentation, and that was okay with me. And uh, but but they were what we were. That's what inspired us, and certainly me for sure. How do you how do you look back on that time now, considering everything that's happened, not only for you but but David as well? And yeah, you, you've had all the success, and it's been so well deserved. Um, but do you still look at that show as as something that's that's different and very special, and that'll never change, no matter what you yeah, accomplish I mean, moving forward? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, I'm writing this memoir and I've done so many, so many things, many that you've never heard of that I still think deserve to be shared with people, the struggle of making shows and things. But that show was very satisfying to me. I mean, it's what we wanted to do. Uh, every episode isn't great, but there were more than a few that I consider really good and, and exactly what we wanted them to be. And that's a great feeling. I mean, if you can get something like that under your belt, even one time in life, it's an amazing thing. And then you can go on, you know, taking shots in different directions and trying to make something else come, come to life. But that thing is what we wanted to do. We got to do it long enough so that we did a few good ones. Um, and the, you know, yeah, it's a wonderful thing. I it'll once it was done, it was hard to figure out what to do next. Are you watching the uh, the the Bulls yes. documentary? I, I haven't watched the last two episodes because I got it. You know, I I can't wait. It's just made this quarantine time, this shelter at home thing. It's made it. It's been a highlight of this time and. I mean, I when I first read the critiques of it and how it's a little too uh, worshipful of Michael, I thought maybe people were being 
hypercritical. I happen to agree with that critique, but I still love it so much. It's just great. It's just great. I'm, I'm, uh, curious, I'm curious when you watch the, the the most recent two. There's really, I mean, there's a lot on on Michael as a leader, and 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 it's uncomfortable. There there there's some quotes in there from some of his teammates where they they didn't like being around him. And <laughs> JD, I don't know if you've seen Twitter, but basically after watching all this stuff and Michael talking about how he rode guys that there's essentially like, this is how everybody should behave. And it's just funny how like, no, like an NBA player can, can behave like that, but you can't do that in the real world. Like you can lead and motivate people without, you know, Mm -hmm. just, just crushing teammates left and right. But I'll be curious to, to, to get your thoughts on it after after you watch it. I mean, that's the trick, right? Is if you can motivate people with a high standard, the highest possible standard without being um, cruel or mean spirited. Um, And it's a shame if Michael's still saying, no, there's no, (laughs) there's no other way to do it. (laughs) Right. Because, because because clearly you know how to do it because you created Matt Foley. So if you're looking for leadership Uh, and motivation, (laughs) I mean, well, if I was the Jordan of comedy writers, I would have created 30 of those. I mean, that guy, forget it. That's another level, but, but thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but um, I mean, that is a question though, right? Is like, how do you motivate? I don't know. It's a shame if Michael's takeaway is I had to do that and I did the right thing. I mean, why can't you just admit to being a little bit, um, just being, uh, to not getting the balance perfect? Why not? Why not just admit to that? And but uh, I can't wait to see these last two episodes as well. Especially now that you told me that I might, it might get a little annoying uh, if they're too uh, one-sided and worshipful. Come on, well, I, th- I think he's self-aware though. I mean, JD, did you watch last night? I missed last night. I've seen them. Yeah, all you should watch it. I mean, I think he basically says. Look, this this took a lot out of me too, <laughs> and mm-hmm. and and I had to, I had to be someone who maybe I'm not now. Um, but the other thing that's interesting is he made the transition to baseball and then back to basketball, and so he had to work different muscles and go through a completely rigorous training uh, regimen to get in baseball shape, and then had to do the exact opposite to get back in basketball shape. So let's wow. twist that into Bob Odenkirk. Have you had some projects where you've had to kind of go from oh, yeah. the, the no, comedy listen. to the drama to the comedy and kind of like, yeah. okay, I got, I got to get Saul. this out of my head. Better Call Saul uh, was harder than I wanted it to be or thought it would be. And I kind of told myself, when I signed up for it, that it was just a, you know, a version of everything I'd done. And I would just have more lines than I'm used to having, but not really fundamentally any different um, than, you know, being in Breaking Bad or sort of quite a few projects that I'd done, but just uh, quantity wise, it would be different, but it's not, it's, it's different. Um, it's It's sort of, at its heart, a different effort and uh, a different thing to sort out as as a as an exercise. It's like playing, like you say, playing baseball or playing basketball. It's kind of got different muscles that you work. And I only look. I had to immerse myself in it that first season. I had so many lines. My character was in every scene except for one episode where he was in no scenes, but pretty much he was in everything else the whole season and I had so much to do and I just immersed myself. But then over the last couple seasons since then, I I've sort of figured out a lot of the demands of it and, and the tricks of acting and what acting is about dramatic acting. It's a different thing. And it's weird. You guys, how much it's like an athletic, I feel like it, it's probably akin to being an athlete because a lot of it is about conserving your energy, literally your physical energy, so that you can do that take, you know, for 12 hours a day. You can be in the same headspace and bring the same energy to the same scene that you're shooting at 8 a.m., that you're shooting, still finishing at 8 p.m. 
And uh, so it's literally about like eating the right foods <laughs> at the right time so you don't get tired or sleepy or um, so there's that side to it. And then there's just getting your brain into a place where you're believing and feeling those feelings of that, uh, of the character in that moment. And you're just keeping that world alive in your head for the length of that shooting, uh, for the day, which is often hours and hours long. And I, I, whenever I've read about athletes and training and especially like tour de France riders, I think that's kind of, that reminds me of this kind of acting. It's, uh, it's going to a place mentally and physically and staying there and, and bringing that up, that level up as high as you can get it and keeping it there. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. You, you talked earlier about, you know, how hard it is and you kind of revisit it here. And as you were talking earlier, um, a league of their own. I'm assuming you saw the movie. Yeah, not for a yeah. long time, but I'd love yeah. to see it again. But well, there's a great scene in there where uh, Tom Hanks is the manager, Jimmy Dugan, is trying to convince mm-hmm. Gina Davis not to quit, and mm-hmm. she says, "But it's so hard." And he says, "Well, it's supposed to be hard. The hard is what makes it great." And that sounds like what you're, what you're talking about is when you push through and you have a long day and it's a grind and you're blistered and it's 120 degrees. You get great yeah. satisfaction at the end of the day. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's those are the days where I come home and think, "Holy cow, that was amazing what I got to do today." That that was an experience. I went somewhere and it was like it was something more than just regular life. It was a special zone that you get to go to. And that's a that's that makes acting really worthwhile when you get to go somewhere special like that. That's that's the way Len feels at the end of a game when he goes home and he tells Pam, you know, JD didn't say a freaking word from the seventh inning on and I, I had to carry the mail. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to, ask, to sleep on me. Yeah. Yeah. So Bob, <laughs> I, I have to ask you, like baseball players like JD pitched for twelve years. Uh-huh. Like you'll bring up a, a game or a player and you'll say, yeah, you were a teammate of his. And he'll be like, what? I was. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I was. Or I don't remember that game. Yeah. Like, are you at the point now in your career in life where like someone brings up a, a movie or a show or a director or something and you have to think for five seconds. Was yeah. I in that? Yeah. But I think that has more to do with the nature of what you're doing than right. being in so many things. I mean, the fact is you're supposed to be in the moment and that's your job. And you try to get yourself in the moment. I imagine like a pitcher, uh, somewhat. Uh, and as a result, you, you keep letting the last moment go. You don't sit there and, and kind of catalog, uh, this thing while you're doing it because your job is to not be doing that. Your job is to really be extremely present and, uh, so I think that makes it harder for me to recall sort of all the aspects of an experience is that I'm not really supposed to be sitting there as an actor, taking it all in and, and just sort of reveling in it. I'm supposed to be that person, that made up person wanting whatever they want and, you know, and just that's, that's my whole world. Anyway, I don't know. What do you think, JD? You know, it's yeah. For me, it's more. I think, I think that, it's old. It's old age. I forget. Len will say, "Remember you played? <laughs> for, you played with uh, Player X in 1987." I go, "Really?" Yeah. But no, you're you right. Know, it, I think you get into yourself. You're so focused on what you do and and what you're supposed to be taking care of that sometimes you you miss some other details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been writing this memoir has been hard because I don't remember much. And I and I've had to interview a lot of friends who were part of these projects to help me remember. Um, and I still am losing stuff. So it's taken me a long time. I, I hope I do an OK job. I don't know. The goal is that young people who are curious what you know, listen, I came from Naperville. The idea of being in show business was so strange and just not a thought that you would even that was legitimate at all. Um, 
so it, was, it took me a long time to start to understand what it what it is, what the job is, and how you sustain it, and 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 so I'd like to share some of that so that maybe it helps people either to decide not to do it <laughs> or to decide this will be okay and I'll take it in stride and I'll try to make a, a longer term plan for how I can conquer this thing. <laughs> when is it when is it gonna come out? Do you have an idea? Oh, that thing will come out in like two years. Don't wait. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> like a year and a half. Okay. It's gonna be I know the title. Yeah. It's gonna be yeah, it's gonna be called comedy, 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 drama. Ooh, I like <laughs> it. Right? Yeah, that's great. Couple of the last ones for you, Bob. Um a lot of comedy comes from pain and sadness, right? I think of Gary Shandling and some of the greats you've worked with. You seem pretty well adjusted, and actually David does too, as weird as he looks sometimes. Um, <laughs> is is there truth to to that? Yeah, I've been thinking about that in writing about this and writing about my friends, because I do write about friends of mine. Yeah, I don't know if... I guess what I would say is it's true. Uh, it seems true to me after writing about it that the comedy people produce and the point of view that they make uh, makes other people laugh comes from their frustrations with life, whatever, maybe their hunger for connection um, and maybe things that they, you know, I had a chip on my shoulder and I think I turned that into comedy making fun of the things around us, you know? Um, a lot of times I felt like some comedy ideas came to me because of things that made me angry or that I thought looked dumb or were insulting to my intelligence. That would then generate a comedy idea that was had some really fun, light laughter in it. But it came from, honestly, some anger. Um, having said that, everybody's got pain and sadness. And so I don't know what makes a person take that and turn it into comedy and another person turns it into music. And I suppose some people turn it into amazing accounting, <laughs> working at <in> a bank. <laughs> Why is he such a good accountant? He's got a lot of issues. <laughs> that dude can tally like nobody. Oh my God. His parents abandoned him and look at what a great, yeah. What a great tax guy he is. <laughs> so the point uh, anyway. is, there's a lot of sadness in the world, and we just have to yeah. accept it. <laughs> yeah, well, you got to turn it into something. Right. That's right. a Mr. Show thing. Remember the one scene where people are talking about depriving their kids of certain things so they'll become famous? There's a like a little sequence in Mr. Show where it's like interviews with like three parents, uh, three different pairs of uh, parents and they're talking about how I'm depriving my child of affection just enough so they'll want to become a great uh, opera singer. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. All right. We have one final question for you, Bob. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Because my uh, microphone thing. Is that the question? Not. So here's the question. <laughs> <laughs> and you nailed you it. nailed it. Got it. Uh, one final question. And, uh, we will try to have fun with this. This is uh, an opinion, preference, or thought you hold that you think most people would disagree with. So Def Leppard was better than the Beatles or I hate ice cream. Oh, do, do you have a, a particular opinion? Yeah. One thing that most people would disagree with. Uh, oh, uh, thin crust pizza is way better than Mm. I, I agree with you yeah i'm with you on that one i what is it dough who you can <laughs> go make dough and eat it <laughs> i mean th that's not the best part of the pizza the dough when whose idea is that and you know so thin crust pizza all the whole the whole purpose of the crust is to hold up the ingredients that's all it needs to do it doesn't need to do more 
it doesn't need to uh, be the bulk of the pizza. <laughs> I don't know. There's... But the thick, the thick stuff is better for the pandemic because you could eat off one for about a week. Yeah. yeah well, at the with my metabolism, like one bite would last a day. <laughs> at this point, it's my body would take a day to process one bite of that stuff. But I like thin crust. I don't know if Bacino's is still in. Uh, in business, but do you do you remember Bacino's? That sounds familiar, yeah. In Chicago, no, no Bacino's. Yeah. I think it's gone. It was great thin crust pizza. All right, that'll. I'm gonna go and maybe have it for dinner tonight. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I don't know if they're still around. I thought I checked last time I was in Chicago, and it was gone. Here, let me check right now. Um, anyway, that's my. Um, I think that's my minor in the minority. Okay. belief that'll work uh again hold it hold it hold it maybe they're still we, there we've got breaking Pacino's. news Pacino's of lincoln park right. is still there and it's it's got four and a half stars guys great bingo i'm in all over yeah. it. go for it and now they have thick crust but they have uh they have a wonderful thin crust i hope we have games to broadcast and, and eat pizza during yeah Wonderful. All right, guys. I hope so too. Gee, I hope so. Please vote <laughs> yes if they ask. <laughs> I want to yeah. watch the Cubs. Our opinions starting. Will yeah, we'll carry a lot. Bob, thanks for the time. We love you. You got it, man. Thanks. Okay. thanks love Bob. You guys. Well, that was pretty interesting. Uh, I like the uh, analogy of acting and kind of being a baseball player and the amount of focus required. He uh, he got deep on the Better Call Saul stuff that it was a lot more difficult than he anticipated. Yeah, and he embraces the difficulty. He said, you know, that's, that's what stuck out to me is that, that he loves, you know, a long day of shooting in, in the desert and it's 120 degrees and you just beat yourself up physically and mentally and and, you know, baseball players always talk about the grind, and that's clearly what uh, he has experienced in that role. A couple of bits of uh, news this week. Unfortunately, we start with bad news. We, we want to send out uh, our condolences to the family of Eldred Salty Saltwell. Uh, Salty passed away on May 20th at age 96, had a 30-year front office career with the Cubs, a concession manager, traveling secretary, assistant secretary, assistant treasurer, secretary, uh, very briefly, the uh, Cubs general manager, and then a VP and consultant. J.D., the big story uh, right now, and uh, it changes just about every day, is the major league owners have come up with a plan for the 2020 season. I guess it'll be about an 82-game schedule hopefully in most teams' home ballparks. Uh, spring training would start in June. Opening day would be in early July. But you know, beyond the health and the testing, it seems the biggest hurdle here is to come up with a financial structure and a partnership with the players. Yeah, and as we record this right now, the players are, are giving some uh, serious pushback to what the owners are, are proposing. And it's very early in, in these talks. So I'm sure what the owners put forth initially is you know, strictly, uh, you know, a, a first shot over the bow. <clears throat> I think ultimately we're going to get a chance to, to get this done and we'll be back on the field. Uh, but that is a big issue, the, the financial part of it. And it's not just the players, the owners. It's also, you know, big market clubs and small market clubs come at this from a different perspective. And that's always been the case in the history of these negotiations between the, uh, the players and the clubs. Some of the big market clubs with higher revenues, uh, probably more willing to, to bend a little bit with the players and some of the, you know, um, smaller clubs, lower revenue teams probably digging in. So that's that's kind of the the third piece of this negotiation. It's not just owners versus players. It's big markets, medium markets, small markets, and players all getting in the same room and, and hammering out an agreement. Yeah, let's, let's hope it happens. It's going to take probably weeks, not days, to get this sorted out. But we do have time, that's for sure. All right, uh, time for this week's admission. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, speaking of uh, some of the new rules that uh, may be in place in 2020, including the uh, universal DH, I like ties. I know it's not going to happen. We're probably going to have a runner at second base to start extra innings. But the 12-inning tie, 
I, I would embrace it. Uh, I, I don't like ties, um, but, but I, uh, you know, under these strange circumstances, when you may have issues with uh, trying to take care of pitchers if they have an abbreviated spring training and uh, some of the other issues we're dealing with, um, I would be willing to accept just about anything uh, to get back on the field. So, I, you know, I, I would buy into that. Uh, I do like the idea of putting a man on second base uh, to start the you know 10th or 11th inning, however you, you would want to proceed. Uh, I'm open to, to any of that. What is your uh, unpopular opinion of the week? Uh, I don't know that it's unpopular, but I think it makes me a little bit of an outlier. <laughs> Just the fact that I um, I still get daily delivery of the newspaper. <laughs> I think I'm kind of, ah. I, I don't know if I'm unique for sure, but I, I think I'm, I'm probably in the lower third. Uh, and then the other piece of it is uh, I read the comics on a, a pretty much a daily basis. And I highly recommend uh, Mr. Boffo and the Argyle Sweater. I, I think that's very good reading. That's good stuff. That's, I think, more old school than unpopular, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. fair. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we are going to chat with uh, our good friend Tim Kirkchen next week. Tim, a longtime uh, baseball writer, and uh, you see him on ESPN. And the man has stories, and he loves baseball as much as anyone on the planet. So we look forward to that. Special thanks to Matt Romito, Daniel Green, Jim Oboykowicz, Max Berman. Nice job, Max. He was able to book Bob Odenkirk this week. Joe Rios, Adam Sobel. For JD, I'm Len. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. Talk to you next week.